ordaining Brandon Williams. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day, and I thank you for the truth that you have revealed to us in the Bible, which is that it is only through faith in Jesus Christ that we can be saved from hell, that we can be made right with you and be forgiven of all our sins. There's so many others out there who preach something different, who say that there are other ways to you, that we can earn our way into heaven, and I I pray that we would not be deceived by those things. I pray that we would be faithful to go and share the truth of the gospel with others so that they would not be deceived, that they would not chase after you in all the wrong places, but that they would know that salvation comes through Jesus Christ alone. Father, I thank you that you brought, over a year ago, Brandon and Julie Williams to this church because they are great examples of what it means to be faithful, to share your word with others. They're passionate about the gospel. They love you. They love the youth and the kids' ministry here. They love all your people here. I pray that all of us would look to them as a great example of faithful service and diligent sharing of your word. Lord, we look forward to all that you're going to continue to do through their ministry and here at First Baptist Church. And this morning, we pray that you'd be honored and glorified. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm sure that we have all heard the saying that those who don't know or remember history are doomed to repeat it. We've all probably heard something like that. And there's wisdom in that saying, and there's wisdom in it when it comes to church history, too. Uh, We can learn a lot from the successes and the failures of the church in the past. So here's a little history lesson for all of us about three different men who impacted the church in a way that we should never forget. Now, their names are Marcion. He lived in the second century A.D. After him, there's a guy that was named Sibelius. He lived in the third century. And then a guy named Arius, who lived in the fourth century. Now, as you can already tell, these men lived in different centuries. They also lived in different countries. But there are some similarities to these three men. Uh, They each rose to prominence in the Christian church during their time in it. They each held a position of authority in the church. Priest, teacher, pastor, things like that. And all three of these guys were heretics. That is, each of these men promoted false teachings that contradicted the foundational truths of Christianity. As a Marcion, he taught that there are actually two different gods. Because he, he felt that the God of the Old Testament was too mean to be the same God as the God in the New Testament. So he said, well, there's two gods. The following century, Sibelius came and he preached against the Trinity, uh, saying that God is not three in one, but, but rather God takes on different forms at different times for different functions. So sometimes God functions as the Father. Sometimes he chooses to function as the Son, And sometimes he chooses to function as the Holy Spirit. And then in the next century, Arius came along and Arius preached that Jesus, Jesus isn't fully God. No, no, no. Jesus was created by God. So Jesus is not divine. That's what Arius taught. These men openly taught these things in churches. And they led a lot of people into believing these things. Yeah, but Andrew, these were over 1,500 years ago. Why? Do these things matter for us today? They matter because these same things are still taught and thought and promoted today. I mean, 
Maybe you've heard professing Christians say things like, you know, I like the God of the New Testament. I don't know how I feel about the God of the Old Testament. He seems, he seems unkind. I don't like him. Well, we're talking about the same God. We're monotheists. We believe in one God. Now, most people who say that, by the way, haven't spent any serious time reading or studying either the Old Testament or the New Testament. Today, people continue to teach modalism. That's the heresy that Sibelius taught. They'll say that God appears sometimes as the Father or the Son or the Holy Spirit. How those people explain the moments in Scripture where all three members of the Trinity appear together, I don't know. Again, usually they're unfamiliar with the Bible. And there are entire belief systems that teach that Jesus is a created being. He's not God. The Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons teach that today. See, these things, they're still around over 1,500 years later. Now, a few terms I'm going to use today, I just want to make sure we're all all on the same page with, because they're terms we throw out in church a lot. We don't define very often. So a few terms I'm going to use today would be theology. Theology is the study of God. You can use the word doctrine. Doctrine is the teaching and the instruction of God's word, the Bible. You can use the word heretic. A heretic is a teacher who spreads false teachings, right? bad theology, incorrect doctrine. And the church rightly labeled Marcion, Sibelius, and Arius as heretics and expelled them from the church. Their teachings were major deviations from the core truths of Christianity. We are blessed that there were Christians during those days who stood firmly on God's word and stood against those who tried to twist it. And we need to do the same thing, church, because here's the thing. Heresy, it ain't dead. It is very much alive. And many Christians continue to be led astray by things that are not found in God's word. And it's led to the death of many churches. My prayer is that false teaching would never Boxford. Because if it ever does, it'll destroy this fellowship as well. So if you would turn with me to Jude, the book of Jude, chapter 1, which is kind of redundant to say Jude is only one chapter. So turn to the book of Jude. This is the second to last book in the Bible. If you'd like to use one of the Bibles here in the sanctuary, you can turn to page 990. Page 990, the book of Jude. As you turn there, this is our final part in our Healthy Church sermon series. And we are going to be seeing today that a defining characteristic of a healthy church is that it is filled with believers who defend sound doctrine. That means that that healthy church stands firmly on and defends the essential truths of the Christian faith. Things like the deity of Jesus Christ, or his death and his bodily resurrection, salvation by faith alone, the Trinity, and on and on. Just to give a few examples. Heresy attacks those foundational truths with false teaching. So we're going to see what Jude has to say about all of this, and as we get ready to look at this letter, I want you to keep in mind, this is a letter from Jude to Christians. So believers, let's pay very close attention. Let's pick up in verse 3. He says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. 
For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They're ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Let's stop here for just a second. Jude said that, you know, he wanted to write a letter about our salvation. I bet that would have been a sweet letter. Because our salvation is so rich and full and deep and incredible. But you see, there was a problem, and the problem is that people were being prevented from hearing the truth of salvation because of false teachers. Heretics were already there. They were in the churches. They had crept in. They started spreading their lies. And you know what? The same thing happens today. False teachers still come into churches and spread their lies. And not just into churches, but there are a lot of false teachers who will set themselves up online, on social media, on television, on the radio. A lot of bad doctrine is spread by viral videos and viral posts. So church, as a rule of thumb, please understand this. Do not get your theology from social media. Get your theology from God's word. That's where you're going to see the truth. False teachers, what they do is they start with common truths, things that we'd all agree on, and they draw us in with their personalities, their presentation. They're they're safe. They they feel approachable. But soon they start to weave those lies, and by then most people are blind to whatever else they say. Jude said they pervert the grace of God. You see, one mark of a false teacher is that generally they're soft on sin. They'll say things like, look, Christian, you're saved, right? And if you're saved, you're always saved. So sin's not going to cause you to lose your salvation. So it's okay. It's not a big deal if you participate in sin. More than that, they'll say things like, well, it's okay to do the things that the world does. The Bible was written a long time ago. It's a different time. So it's okay. You know, the things the world says, it's okay. They'll agree with all those sins that the world engages in and celebrates. Another mark is that they deny Jesus Christ as our only sovereign and Lord. You see, false teachers will say things like, uh, Jesus isn't the eternal Son of God. Or, or they'll say, Jesus doesn't have to be the only authority in your life. You do you. You don't worry about what Jesus says. Or they'll say, Jesus isn't the only Savior. He's not the only way to salvation. Despite all that the Bible and Jesus himself said, these false teachers come and they promote other ways to salvation. They'll say, ah, it's about good works or it's about tithing. You can click this link and you can tithe right here. False teachers say all sorts of things like this. So church, I want you to understand something. If you ever hear a preacher or teacher promote the ever-changing morality of the world as opposed to the morality of God's word, or if you ever hear them teach that Jesus Christ is not the eternal Son of God and the only way to salvation, flee from that person. If they will not listen to truth, don't give them another moment of your time and rescue as many people as you can from that person. They're ungodly people who pervert the truth and the grace of God. And you know what? Jude has some other things to say about them. Look at verse 11. He says, woe to them. They've taken the way of Cain. They've rushed for profit into Balaam's heir. They've been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They're clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They're wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars 
for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Does that sound like the type of people we want to follow? False teachers, he says, are like Cain. Oh, Cain stubbornly resist, persisted in wrongdoing. He resisted the truth. They're like Balaam. Balaam was filled with greed. They're like Korah. Korah rebelled against God's authority. Jude says they're blemishes. They claim to be shepherds, but they don't lead people anywhere but their own destruction. Darkness is reserved for them, and woe to those who follow them. Yet year after year, century after century, false teachers come along, slip in in the church, they promote themselves and promote sin above Jesus and the gospel. Jude says, look, these selfish, evil people, they're in the churches. And First Baptist Church, that hasn't stopped. They're still in churches. He says they're at our love feast. They're rubbing elbows with us at potlucks. The question is, how do we keep ourselves from falling prey to false teachers? How do we defend against this and make sure that we are a healthy church? Thankfully, Jude has some answers for us. Verse 17. It says, but dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Now remember at the very beginning, we saw that Jude said he was writing to them so that they would contend for the faith. Fight for it. Stand firm on it. And this is how we do that. First, we need to remember what the church was told at the very beginning. False teachers are going to come. And they have. They're still around. So we need to be on guard, believers. Because false teachers, those are the ones who divide God's people. They don't have the spirit of God because they're not saved. There's, you will recognize them by their lack of spiritual fruit. And one of the ways that we stay on guard against false teaching is that we make sure to take everything, everything that is taught, everything that is preached, and we measure it against God's word. That includes everything from this pulpit. Everything. When someone teaches or preaches, we are to take those things and say, does this line up with the word of God? Remember that. We're not followers of people. We're not followers of Andrew Kropp. We're followers of Jesus Christ. So we need to look to his word for truth. So when someone teaches or preaches here or anywhere else, you always take it and say, does this line up with what God's word actually says? That's one of the ways that we stay on guard. Which leads us to the next way that we contend for the faith. We are to build ourselves up in faith and in prayer, keeping ourselves in God's love, Jude says. You see, believers, grow close to God. Because when you do, you'll recognize the people who are far from him, like false teachers. But how can we grow close to God? And how can we know God? How can we know the truth if we aren't in God's word, if we're not in the Bible? 
You see, false teaching always deviates from the Bible and twists the word of Scripture. But if we don't know the Bible, we won't know when teaching deviates from it. You can't know the Bible and know the Lord more if we do not read the Bible. If you immerse yourself in Scripture, you won't be so easily swept away by those who try and distort it. Sadly, one of the reasons that so many Christians in Jude's day and in our day follow after false teachings, they adore heresy, they end up in cults, one of the reasons is because too many Christians have abandoned God's word. They don't read it. Maybe they read it on Sundays, but even then, do they really? They don't read God's word. We need to contend for the faith, believers. The closeness of your walk with Jesus Christ depends on it, and the health of the church does too. Each believer's responsibility in this regard is to know God and to know God's word. That way we can fight false doctrine by knowing what is true. See, when we strive for this as individuals, the church as a whole, it grows stronger. So understand the truth this morning, believers. The truth is this. If we are faithful to Scripture, we will not be fooled by false teaching. Remember that. If we're not faithful to Scripture, we're going to have a hard time exercising discernment when people teach and preach. But if we're faithful to Scripture, we will not be so easily fooled by false teaching. And believe me, false teaching is out there. It's online. It's on TV. It's on the radio. It's in churches. But when we each take doctrine seriously and take the Bible seriously, then we can come together as one body, as the local church, and contend for the faith together. One way the church does that is by ensuring that false teachers aren't allowed to be given places of prominence, opportunities to spread their lies. In other words, we need to ensure here at First Baptist Church of Oxford that proper teaching always takes place. This is why we don't take lightly the role of teaching here. Okay, I've had people come to me who maybe attended once or twice and say they would love to teach. Okay, but I don't know you. I don't know what you believe. I don't know that your doctrine lines up with Scripture. So our answer is always no. So if you're here and this is your first or second time, I'm so glad that you're here. But you can't teach right now. We want you to come and be a part of the church. We want you to immerse yourself in this body of believers because, you see, we don't take teaching lightly. Nor do we take lightly the role of pastor here. We believe that before someone is ordained as a pastor, they need to go through what Scripture refers to, which is a time of testing. They need to prove their calling and their adherence to proper doctrine. And Brandon Williams has done that for over a year. And so today, we will be ordaining him. This means that this morning, Brandon officially receives the title of Pastor, I understand that many times in the past we've referred to him as pastor anyways. He has been shepherding God's people. But here, in the sight of God and among this body of believers, this call to pastoral ministry is officially recognized. All right, now, for a lot of us, ordination, all we know that it means is that someone can officially perform weddings and stuff like that. And that's true, but biblically, ordination is it's much more. It's when the church and its leaders recognize that an individual has been appointed by God and set apart to ministry. And then the church responds in unity and in prayer to that call from God. Now, in this case, is that God has called Brandon to the work of ministry and has gifted him in that. 
Now, our response will be as a church body to affirm that. So, First Baptist Church of Oxford, you'll have that opportunity in just a few minutes. Then the response will be for your ordained leaders, your deacons, your pastors, to come lay hands on Brandon and pray over him as we embrace God's clear call in his life. I believe that Brandon has showed over this past year that he has been gifted by God to be a minister of the gospel. You know, one of the things I appreciate most about Brandon is that uh, Brandon doesn't like basketball. (laughs) That's not what I appreciate. But he doesn't like basketball. And uh, in fact, he made that very clear to the Upwards basketball kids one day. He said, if I never saw another basketball, I would be happy. But Brandon's still there at every practice. He's there at every game. We're going to keep doing upwards basketball because even though Brandon doesn't like basketball, he loves Jesus, and he wants to see these kids know Jesus and follow Jesus. It's because he has a heart for the gospel. It doesn't matter what sport we're using to reach kids. He just wants to reach kids for Jesus Christ. More than that, I believe that Brandon has also demonstrated to the church that he strives to live out the qualifications for pastors is found in Scripture, and I'd like to read those for you. I think we should all have an understanding of what it is that a pastor is called to. These qualifications are found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. If you'd like to turn there, you're welcome to. If you're using one of those Bibles here in the sanctuary, it's on page 961. 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says this. Here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone doesn't know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. See, not only does Brandon have a heart to be like Christ, and to pursue these high standards set forth in 1 Timothy chapter 3. But as I mentioned earlier, he has a passion for the gospel. He has a love for teaching God's word. He has the heart of a shepherd. And our decision to ordain him is because we cannot help but agree with God's very clear calling and qualifying of Brandon Williams. But as I said, this process involves the whole church, and so what we're going to do is, I'm going to invite Brandon to come up, and he's going to share with you what led to this moment as he was called by the Lord into ministry. After Brandon does that, our head deacon, Michael Giorgini, will come up, and he is going to present his ordination to the church for the church's affirmation and approval by vote. But first, Brandon, if you would come and share with us. Hello. Um, So yeah, so um, this is hard. Um, I don't like talking about myself. If any of you have met me, hopefully um, you know that about me by now. So I can teach you all day, uh, but talking about myself is a little more difficult. 
Um, but yes, so um, for those of you who are visiting, uh, my name is Brandon, and I do have the awesome privilege of being the children and youth pastor here at First Baptist Church of Oxford. Um, so my journey began probably when I was in high school. Um, the church I attended back in Virginia, um, we had a janitor there, and his name was Melvin. And I remember sitting in my mom's office, she was the secretary there, and um, I was just playing on the computer, and Melvin came in, and he was like, I know what you're going to do. And I said, Melvin, I pray I'm not going to be a janitor. <laughs> my first job, I'll come back to that, but my first job at Liberty was janitorial services. So God, <laughs> God has a sense of humor if you don't believe me. Uh, but no. And Melvin goes, no, you are going to be on the stage preaching one day. I was like, that's nice. Just kind of ignored it. Um, I worked at a grocery store where I met my wife. And uh, this grocery store, we took groceries out to the cars, old school. And um, the person who I took the groceries out to, she goes, there's something different about you. And I was like, well, what do you mean? She goes, you're not like everybody else who works here. She goes, you're nice, you're kind, you help people. And I'm like, well, that's kind of the job description, but okay. And uh, she was like, you know, you're going to do something great. Again, okay. And then that same week at the same job, one of our friends who worked there, um, her uncle passed away, and we were talking, and she was just like, you're really good at that. Good at what? Talking to people, helping them feel comforted and loved and everything. And I was like, well, thank you. She goes, I could see you being a pastor one day. Okay, cool, thanks. Um, the one detail is all three of those conversations were in one week. Three separate occasions where God was using other people to get my attention. And if you know anything about God, that's usually how he works, is he uses other people to get your attention. It really wasn't until I attended Liberty, where Julie, my girlfriend, now wife, um, she was the reason I went to school. And I did a lot of youth classes. That was going to be my degree, was a youth professor. And then her youth, pro her youth pastor, we went to a mission trip, or not a mission trip, we went to Six Flags in Maryland. And um, him and I were talking. He goes, what's your degree? And I was like, youth. youth. He goes, you need to change it. I'm like, no. He goes, no, listen to me. He goes, you need to change it. He goes, you need to do biblical studies with a youth minor. He goes, you do biblical studies, you get the practical teaching and learning of studying scripture, and then you do youth ministry as a minor while you still get to take the classes, but get connected in a church. So while you're learning it, you're living it. I was like, okay. So got back to school that following year, changed my degree from biblical or from youth ministry to biblical studies, minor in youth, and um, we got connected with 
Thomas Road Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia, where we served for 10 years in student ministry. And he was right. As you were learning it, you could apply it, and it just became more real to what I was doing. But actually, it was our one of my youth professors, Dr. Richard Brown, who officiated our wedding. Um, he would invite youth ministry students over to his house every Thursday night, kind of as a Bible study get together. And I never went. And then one night I was like, you know, I'll go. And uh, Julie went along with me and we were in his living room. And I remember like it was yesterday, um, he was sitting across from me. I was on the love seat. Julie was sitting beside me and his wife, Janet, was sitting in the chair. And we were just having a conversation. And I had about three classes with Doc Brown at this point. And um, it was my last class with him that semester. And it was this big class where we had to prepare a year's worth of curriculum. Middle school, high school, 52 Sundays, 52 Wednesdays, a mission trip, a summer camp. So basically, when you go to interviews and they say, why should we hire you? You show them that you're already prepared. I didn't do that here because I lost my packet until we moved. Um, but anyway, <laughs> and I remember Doc Brown sitting up and looking at me. And he says, you're a youth pastor. I respect him. I still do. He's alive. Um, he's a great friend of mine. And, but I remember that night driving home after I dropped Julie off. And I don't know if you've ever been confused with God. I was confused. Um, I yelled at God, if you're allowed to do that, asking him, what are you doing? Student ministry is important. I have been in the church since I was nine months in the womb. My mom was in the choir. My dad was a deacon. I was at the church 24 hours a day. Seven days a week, the church doors were open. I was there. Um, and I always felt led like this was what I was supposed to do. And when I graduated with my master's in 2020, I started looking for jobs right at the height of the pandemic. What a good time to start looking for jobs. And... Um, for those of you who have applied for jobs, the phone calls come, the rejections come, and then you really start to question God, is this what I'm supposed to do? I go to school, I get the degree, I have the paperwork that shows this is what I'm supposed to do, but I can't get a job. Looked one day when I was at work on the SBC website, and there was this church, First Baptist Church of Oxford. Didn't tell Julie about it. I applied. <laughs> so 
I told her about it after I applied because I didn't want her to get her hopes up about, you know, if this was the same thing where I get the call, I get the email, I don't get it. It wasn't a burden she needed to carry because she had carried so many of them with me. I didn't tell Pastor Andrew this until this moment, but when he called me the first time, I was taking Julie to Cracker Barrel, and it said Oxford, Florida. I was like, Oxford, Florida? I don't know anybody from Oxford, Florida. <laughs> and she goes, you should answer it. And I was like, I don't want to. And I'm really glad I did. So we talked, I think, for about 45 minutes. And um, even before Pastor Andrew called me, I had already done my research on the church. I had watched a live stream. He actually didn't even remember the sermon illustration that <laughs> I told him about to prove that I had watched a live stream. Um, Tommy and Trevor told me that they knew somebody was watching. They just didn't know where because their viewership went up by one um, <laughs> online. So we started watching and we fell in love before we were even here. And when we came down in May of 2021 to meet all of you, and as we were waiting for the decision, um, like you have heard Pastor Andrew say, Pastor Richard say, I had made the decision that this was going to be my home before you guys even told me yes. So I'm really glad you said yes. <laughs> um, but no, it's been amazing. Um, I don't work, and that's how I know I'm in the right spot, because what I do isn't a job. Getting to hang out with students and kids and their families, it's not work. Um, I love what I do, and um, as Pastor Andrew says, I'm going to be here until either God calls me home or y'all kick me out, whichever one comes first. Um, but yeah, it's been a dream of mine, a dream of Julie's for years, serving alongside of the students at Thomas Road, and now getting to serve alongside of you as a church, your families, your students, your children, um, and I just wouldn't change it for anything. I want to thank Brandon for, for sharing with us. So there are a lot of things in that story I'd never heard before. Um, but before we do ordain Brandon officially with your leaders coming and laying hands on him, praying over him, the church praying for him, before I get to the charge to Brandon as a, as a pastor at church, I think it's very important that you understand your role as we prepare to rejoice over God's call to Brandon. So church, in order for you to love and care for Brandon and Julie, I am charging you, First Baptist Church of Oxford, to fulfill these four biblical commands towards them both. First, while our enemy, the devil, would love nothing more than for believers to be unkindly critical, unreasonably demanding and demeaning of those who serve the Lord, I charge you, as the Apostle Paul asked the Thessalonian church, to hold Brandon in the highest regard in love because of the work that he's going to engage in. Second, as you hold him in high regard, follow him as one of the God-appointed leaders in the church. 
A third, as you follow him as a leader, follow his example of faith. Remember, one of his responsibilities is to pursue the Lord in the lifestyle laid out in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that I read earlier. So he ought to be an example worth following. So follow his example. And finally, please, please pray for him and his family. As I've already shared with Brandon earlier this week, the devil loves to attack and destroy the lives of Christians, yes. And he also really loves to destroy those who lead other Christians. So please pray for Brandon to rely on the Lord, to be strengthened spiritually each day. Pray for Julie as well. And church, I trust that the Lord's going to bless you as you do these things. But now, Brandon, I want you to know that I've already seen your shepherd's heart for God's people, your determination for the gospel. But before we pray over you, I need to remind you publicly of some very important truths. So keep in mind that the Bible says in James chapter 3 that as a teacher of God's word, you will be held to a stricter judgment because you'll be held account for the things that you teach. Bear in mind that Hebrews chapter 13 says that as an overseer, you will give an account for the souls of those the Lord places you over. So as Paul told the elders in Ephesus, be diligent to watch out for the flock that's under you. Defend them against vicious wolves because as we talked about earlier, false teachers will come. And our world is chasing after all these kids. They want to draw them away with false teachings. So Brandon, my friend, my co-laborer in the gospel, before we ordain you, this is the charge that our church gives you. It's the same one that Paul gave to Timothy. This is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people won't put up with sound doctrine. But instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Brandon, fulfill your ministry even when it's hard. In the moments of joy and success, praise God. In the moments of opposition and hardship, don't stop. As one saint said long ago, if we do have fear, it's going to be of silence, not preaching. So Brandon, never stop preaching the glorious gospel that led you here. The truth that apart from Jesus Christ, we're hopelessly separated from God because of our sin. And that the just punishment for our sin is to be separated forever from God in a place called hell. But that in his great love for us, Jesus Christ came and died on the cross. He took the penalty for our sin. He was buried and rose powerfully from the dead. And that through faith in him and him alone, we can receive the forgiveness of our sins, the salvation of our soul, and a pardon from hell. The world needs to hear this. Because the world needs Christ. So Brandon, I am charging you to also make sure that the gospel is always found in your preaching and your teaching. 
So, Brandon, if you accept this charge and the pursuit of God's clear calling and gifting in your life, then you can affirm these things by coming up for us now in order for us to pray for you.